I think shared language is a very potentially powerful unifying base. In other words, it, it can establish connections and very close connections. There are a number of reasons for this. One is that there's such an intimate relationship between our personal identities and the, and the language that we use. But also, at the same time, language is used to express group solidarity and at lots and lots of different social levels, from families to other groupings right up to the national level. So for those reasons, I think language is, a, is an especially powerful way of establishing connections. But of course, anything that establishes connections and solidarity like that can also be used to exclude and to express differences. So one of the questions is what's happened with the Welsh language? Has it mainly been for connections or has it mainly been in terms of differences? I think certainly it's been both. I mean, there have been differences based on the language between people. And there's a particular problem, both for a, a political nationalist movement and perhaps for the nation or, or a collectivity, when you have a minority uh, of the population speaking a different language. So there, there are and there have been um, problems with difference or, or expressions of difference based on the language. But I feel, and I and I try to show in this chapter, that on balance, the Welsh language has been a basis for connections in Wales. Certainly the Welsh language was the main carrier of Welsh distinctiveness for centuries. Everything else, all other institutional differences between Wales and England were deliberately destroyed. And there were attempts, of course, to, to stamp out the Welsh language as well, quite strong attempts over centuries. But the Welsh language certainly was the main carrier of Welsh identity for centuries. Eventually, then, it became the main basis for establishing, re-establishing some institutional differences. So that you have, in the very early stages of setting up the Welsh office, one of the arguments that's being made is there's a, there's a, a different language spoken in Wales and therefore we have to be able to cater for that and we need a special Welsh department to do so. The other sort of basis which has probably developed over the years is a kind of personal and emotional connection. It's always been the case within the political nationalist movement that the language has served as a kind of unifying characteristic across English and Welsh speakers. In other words, you had people within the Welsh nationalist political movement who were non-Welsh speaking themselves but were very strong supporters and very strongly emotionally attached to the Welsh language and its, and its revival, supporting its increased use within education and, and so forth, and within um, the bureaucracy. So within the Welsh political nationalist movement, I think you could say really from, from the outset. Initially, it was very strongly Welsh language movement, but it attracted English speakers who were strongly attached, emotionally attached to the Welsh language. Within Wales as a whole, I feel that probably this is something that's developed over the last, oh, certainly 30 years. If you go back to the 1970s, for non-Welsh speakers, the language was, was much more divisive and the, the attitudes about the language were much more ambivalent and often hostile for non-Welsh speakers. And, and then, you, of course, you have this reflected with Welsh speakers who had feelings of hostility and so forth and, and would themselves perhaps deny the language to some degree. When I was in Wales in 1976-1977, I, I lived in Cardiff for six months when I was doing my fieldwork. And um, I had a room with a, a woman... She'd recently lost her husband. She was from Swansea. She was completely fluent in, in Welsh. She'd grown up speaking Welsh. But she didn't speak Welsh with me. She never spoke Welsh with me. She did not say on the census that she was Welsh-speaking. And she had a number of friends who, who she said were, were the same. I was therefore, oh, easily um, 
well, several weeks before I discovered that she spoke Welsh. Now, it was this kind of sort of attitude about, about the Welsh language, a, a kind of almost embarrassment, uh, kind of hiding it, that I think has, has certainly changed. I don't think that sort of thing would be common at all now. Why not? Well, the establishment of Welsh medium schools has made a huge difference so that you have lots and lots of people who themselves don't speak Welsh who now have grandchildren who do, and they're extremely proud of them. So the language becomes something that they, they themselves see as a part of their own identity because it's something that belongs to their children or their grandchildren. So I think the Welsh schools movement in the valleys and in non-Welsh-speaking parts of Wales has had a, a big uh, effect. The official recognition for the language has had a, a huge effect. It, it's no longer something that's uh, second rate that you use in private. It's become something now that has more prestige. It now it's associated with, with good jobs and so forth. So, so I think that's uh, uh, made a very big difference as well. Obviously, if you read the letters pages in the local papers, you can see lots of people who are still quite vehemently opposed to support for the Welsh language. But I think it's much less common. I think the Welsh language certainly does connect people much more than it used to. It's less divisive, I think, uh, across language groups, that is, Welsh speakers and and non-Welsh speakers. And in different parts of Wales, there are many more speakers of Welsh who have moved to uh, Cardiff, that has become a, a big centre for good jobs in, in uh, which, which have Welsh language requirements, and, and so you have lots of Welsh speakers in Cardiff. So I think it's much more accepted than it was even, even a quarter of a century ago. How have case studies shaped Charlotte's research? You could say the story about uh, my landlady is anecdotal. On the other hand, I've done more recent research in in Swansea, interviewing people about various sorts of things, about families and also about their Welshness and Welsh identity and attitudes about the language, and have found that although some interviewees did express opposition for the language, many, many more are very supportive of the language and also seem to sort of own the language, even if they don't speak it. It's something that belongs to them. It's a part of their Welshness. And now I think that this kind of evidence, interview evidence, is to try to explore and reveal the range of expressions and the range of experiences and opinions that people have. It's not intended to give a statistically valid overview of attitudes about the language. On the other hand, if you do a comparatively large number of interviews, I mean 50 or 60, I've I've heard it said that once people start telling you things that you've heard before, you can stop interviewing with qualitative interviewing. I don't quite agree with that. I think it's a good idea to get the full range, but also to get an idea of the overall balance of how many people are being supportive of the language. And if you do 50 or 60 interviews, you're getting at least a sense of the majority of people expressing positive attitudes about the language, one or two or three who are extremely negative. So it's not a statistical conclusion, but it's certainly qualitative interviewing of that sort can give you a kind of idea of the overall balance, also of the way in which things are changing. I mean, in the interviews that we did in, in Swansea, we were doing a restudy of a family study that had been done back in the 1960s, and Professor Chris Harris, who worked with us, had been one of the people who did the original study, and he was quite surprised, and he said that there's a huge difference in the way in which people talked, not so much about the language, but about Welsh identity. They sort of could accept that they were happy, they were proud of it. They didn't really feel they had to push it. It was just a part of them 
whereas in the 1960s he felt that the, the people were really not exactly denying it, but they certainly didn't want to, uh, to push it. They didn't want to go on about their Welshness, and it was very different by our interview. And, of course, they were, there were all sorts of bases for Welsh identity that, that people talked about besides the language, very positive about the language, but they also talked about rugby and so forth. I think that um, that kind of, um, of research can give you both an awareness of range of opinions, range of experiences, but it also can give you at least a sense of the balance, the way in which balance may be shifting over time. What other research methods were used in conjunction with Charlotte's interviews? The particular study in Swansea, which was um, focused on changes in family life, um, was based around, uh, well, both a survey, which was a quantitative part of the study, but uh, uh, around qualitative interviewing. And uh, we interviewed in about 30 to 40 individuals in four different neighborhoods so that in the process of doing the interviews, we were able to build up not just ideas about the range of people's, individual people's experiences and, and so forth, but also about the, the neighborhood in which they lived, so that the, the interviews fed into case studies, four different case studies of different and contrasting neighborhoods in Swansea. So we were able to use those interviews and then some participant observation in various kinds of uh, activities, uh, school plays, uh, going to leisure centers and and sporting events and all of this sort of thing in the different uh, locations so that you build up a very rounded picture of what's happening in in these these different neighborhoods. Qualitative interviewing is often the principal research method basis for case studies, but obviously then you, you carry on, you broaden it with other kinds of ethnographic data based on participant observation in different settings and, and informal conversations as opposed to just interviewing and, and so forth. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.